Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I just want to read you a scripture from um, Matthew chapter 6. From my Bible, it says in Matthew 6 from verse 9, Jesus talking about the Our Father, He says, Pray, in this, pray, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And um, temptation, I think, is something that all of us have to deal with every day. Anyone who doesn't sort of have to deal with temptation on a regular basis... (laughs) <laughs> Robert <laughs> I'm going to ask your wife and I'm sure she's going to tell me a different story <laughs> um, and it's interesting the same word the same Greek word that is translated temptation is also translated test uh, para, parasmon in the Greek it can mean either temptation or test and, and the point is that every test is actually implicitly a temptation. Because obviously if there's a test, then, then you can get it wrong. You, know, you, can, you can fail the test. And every temptation is a test. And the test and the temptation are in a sense two sides of the same coin. Um, from God's side, it's a, it's a test that we can pass and grow in confidence. Because what does a test do? A test only really reveals what's already there, right? Um, but from the devil's side, it's a temptation that he wants us to fail and, and sort of um, lose confidence. Um, but, but it's the same, same word. Now, now, obviously, God does not, God does, does not um, tempt us. God doesn't tempt anyone. In fact, um, James 1, let me just read from, um, from that quickly. James 1 verse... 12 to about 14 actually says it explicitly. Um, It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It's the same same word there, trial, temptation. Um, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I always think about it this way. You've heard of the five love languages. Some people like physical touch, gifts, or you know, um, acts of service or whatever, the five love languages. Well, one of God's love languages is resisting temptation. When we resist temptation in order to be obedient to God, God experiences it as love. It's one of God's love languages, if you can put it that way. Then it goes on, it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we, we see here that God doesn't test, tempt anyone. So in that sense, actually, uh, maybe it would be a bit better to translate that word rather than, because we're addressing God the Father, our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. But clearly God doesn't lead into temptation. He does lead into tests. 
He certainly does lead into tests. We'll see that later in Scripture in the Old Testament, you know, as well. It's also full of it, God, God, uh, you know, of, the, of this theme that God does lead us into times of testing. Um, but maybe we should rather translate that rather than temptation, we should ra- rather translate it testing. Lead us not into uh, a time of testing, but then it says, but deliver us from evil. Um, In other words, the second part tells us that inevitably there will be times of testing. We must ask God, you know, we mustn't seek them, and we must say, God, you know, if possible, I want to avoid this time of testing because I know my vulnerability. I know my own weakness. I know my own humanness. But when it does inevitably come, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Um, now, if you're anything like me, now I know there are a few sort of A students here and really bright and diligent people, and you never did this, but when I was at school, and even to some extent at university, I used to cram. I'm sorry, you know, I confess it. <laughs> at school, I could still get away with it easily. And even in my first year, I could sort of get away with cramming, but then after that, the work just becomes too difficult. Uh, I studied chemical engineering, and it's quite a tough course. And it, beca- it just becomes too difficult, and you can't really cram. And, and there, there are certain things. For instance, something like a language. When you're learning a language, I recently uh, started studying Greek, you know, so I could read the, the New Testament in Greek. And a language you cannot cram. It's just impossible. It's just the vocabulary, you know, the, the grammar, everything that you need to get. It's just a huge amount of something that's entirely new that you know, that you have no exposure to before. So you cannot learn it by cramming. Um, and imagine a professor, say, say a professor of biblical Greek or something, uh, saying to his students, listen here, this subject, you're not going to be able to cram it. I know you guys, you just cram for the test. And if you knew when the tests were, you would just cram and try and prepare for the test. Because you actually just sort of, more interested in passing the test than from in, in what you can learn through the test. And you actually end up missing the point of the test in that way. So what I'm going to do is, you're going to have this semester four class tests, but I'm not going to tell you when they are. Because then you can't cram for them. Well, God is like that professor. <laughs> he gives us tests, but he doesn't tell us when they are. But what it does tell us to do is to pray daily about it and say, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. So I just want to discuss this very briefly under under a few headings. There are four practical ways to deal with tests. Tests are passed with when we have the right expectation, when we focus on the right enemy, when we follow the right example, and when we are in the right environment. So right expectation, right enemy, right example, right environment. So let's just jump in. The right expectation. The fact that Jesus commands us in the Our Father, which is a prayer intended to be prayed daily. Give us this day our daily bread. So it's a a prayer intended to be prayed daily. Jesus instructs us. He commands us to pray, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. Which means he actually wants us to daily expect Testing and temptation. Do you know how much of our discouragement and how much of the problems 
In a time of testing, but in any time of temptation or testing, is a time of suffering, it's a time of hardship. It's not an easy time, it's an uncomfortable, difficult time, right? We understand that. But a, a massive part of our problems with temptation is the fact that we don't expect it. I've seen this so often with both Christians and non-Christians, um, you know, who go through hardship and suffering. I mean, you, on, the, on the one hand, you get conservative people, and on the other hand, you get liberal people. But I found that both those kinds of people don't expect tests. This is the, the basic theology that people often have. Good, if, uh, if, if someone is good, if I'm good, then only good things will happen to me. If I am good, then only easy things will happen to me. If I am good, then God will bless me. And if I'm not being blessed, then it's probably because I'm not being good. Isn't that so? Often we don't say it in so many words, but in our heart of hearts, because of the fact that we so, on the one hand, sometimes we, 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 we get angry, when, when there's hardship and, 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 and testing, and we're like, I don't deserve this, you know? Or sometimes we, we, we get sort of, we feel guilty and down and, and, and depressed because we feel like, I do deserve this. I haven't been good enough. But whenever you think that how, how your life is, is dependent on how good you are, you're either going to get angry or you're going to get depressed. You're either going to say, I hate thee to God, or you're going to say, I hate me. Because you, you, if you think you're being good enough, then you're going to say, I, I don't deserve this, I hate thee. You're, you're being unfair to me. But if you think I am not being good enough, you're going to say, you're going to feel guilty and like, I hate me. So you can always fluctuate between the I hate me and I hate thee sort of extremes. And that's what most people do in times of difficulty and temptation. Because of wrong thinking. But Christians, unlike conservatives and liberals, know that it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. How do we know that? Well, firstly, <laughs> we know that there are no good people. <laughs> Just in the previous phrase, God taught us to pray, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those who have, uh, as we've forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. In other words, we are so sinful that we daily <laughs> need to ask for forgiveness. And daily need to forgive one another. So if we take that seriously, we understand that really, according to the biblical standard, there really are no good people. What we tend to do as human beings, and this is very natural and normal, and all of us sometimes fall in the trap of doing this, we tend to make the standard of being good just low enough so that we qualify. There are some other people who don't qualify. Ooh, terrible people. Nasty people, naughty people. <laughs> but we make the standard just low enough so that we qualify. You know, I'm basically a good person. Even Proverbs says, you know, each person confesses his own goodness in the book of Proverbs. But if we daily have to say, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, then it means, and, and, and Jesus commands everyone to pray this, then it means that really, according to the biblical standard, there are no good people. But there was one good person. 
Jesus. There was one person who never had to confess sins or ask forgiveness for sins because he never sinned. And here's the thing. That good, perfectly good person didn't have a good and easy and comfortable life. In fact, he suffered a lot. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus and follow Jesus as Christians, we will never say, if I live a good life, I'll have an easy life. If I'm good enough, then only good things will happen to me. Jesus' life blows that lie way out of the water, destroys it completely. So if we're Christians, we expect tests. We expect hardship. We expect some difficulty. And we pray about it daily. And when we expect it, I mean, when you don't expect the test, then when the test comes, it's, it's sort of a double blow. It's not only the test itself and the difficulty inherent in facing and passing the test, but the very fact that the test came. You know, it's sort of two things that you struggle with at the same time. But when you expect it, it's like, you know, if I got what I... <laughs> I mean, just think about this. If God really gave us what we deserved, would we still be here? <laughs> and, and when you're a Christian, you understand that I am so guilty. I'm so sinful that Christ had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved that he was glad to die for me. And, and that humbles us on the one hand because we know how guilty we are but it also gives us confidence on the other hand because it, we know how loved we are despite our guilt despite our sinfulness and that gives us the power to go through these tests and temptations and hardships um, and for Christians who follow Jesus the cross looms large in our spiritual vision and in fact what we do is we daily in order to follow Jesus, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We take up our cross and we understand that all growth, all transformation is cross-shaped. It's cross-shaped. Think about this. Jesus himself said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone and it doesn't produce a harvest. We understand that it's by seeds falling into the ground and dying that a big oak tree is produced. We understand that it's under immense pressure that a lump of coal is turned into a diamond. It's under intense heat that a metal is melted down, that gold is melted down and purified. All transformation is cross-shaped. It always involves some form of suffering. That's the way God has chosen to work. So the first thing is we need the right expectation. The very fact that Jesus calls us to daily pray about this means that we should daily expect tests, trials, temptations, whatever angle you want to look at it from. Now the second thing is not only have the right expectation, but, but focus on the right enemy. Um, in order to win a battle, we need to attack the right enemy. And the two phrases in, in this prayer... And lead us not into temptation or into testing, but deliver us from evil. Actually talk about two different, I almost want to say, forms of evil. 
that we can focus on. And we tend to focus on the wrong one very often. You see, lead us not into testing speaks about our circumstances. Our circumstances as a test that we can go into. And, and in other words, if I can call it external evil, bad things in your circumstances happening to you that test you, bad things in your circumstances or difficult things in your circumstances that test you, but they're on the outside. They, they're, in a sense, external evil. But then it says, but. When that, in other words, don't, we should not as Christians, uh, you know, be sadomasochists, you know, masochists and seek out temptation and suffering. But when it inevitably comes, we should use it as an opportunity to deal with sin. When external evil inevitably comes, we should use it as an opportunity to deal with internal evil. Sin. Because here's the thing. Suffering will not ruin your life. But sin will. Suffering will not ruin your life, but sin will. And what suffering does... Like the heat that melts the, the, the gold, or the pressure that crushes the, 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 uh, uh, the coal, or, or, or the experiencing of death of that seed, is it surfaces, it brings out what's already there. I often say, what comes out when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice, right? Because that's what's inside. Oh, no, it's because of the pressure that I did this. Here's the thing. Um, pressure, hardship, difficulty only brings out what's already inside. That pressure on the, on the lemon doesn't put the lemon juice inside the lemon. It just squeezes out what's already there. And so often we blame our circumstances. Oh, I'm suffering. It's, 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 I'm under pressure. I'm under difficulty. I'm under hardship. That's why I'm acting in this way. I was, um, we were at a, a band evening last night. Had a nice celebration uh, with, with uh, some of the band guys who could make it. And... Um, I was sitting next to Ruan, um, and and uh, he was saying to me, he, he rides through to Kusile, the, the power station, um, every day to go and work there. He works for ESCOM. And he says he can pick up here at the end of the year. You know, it's been a, it's been a long year. And, and, you know, all of us have our pressures in life, you know, that sort of weigh on us. But this year has been not only the normal pressures, but the economy is taking punch. Everyone's starting to feel it more and more. So there's that added economic pressure. You know, politically, things are very volatile. I mean, it's just corruption, you know, whether it's Gupta leaks or, you know, just the news and, and what's happening, you know, in government. You know, it, it feels like every week, you know, some new scandal is being exposed. It's sort of the, the year of things being exposed <laughs> so that we're getting tired of it, you know, and angry. I mean, angry at just all the, the bad things going on. And, and it's been a long year, and you have not only the normal pressures, but all these added extra pressures. And he says he can see people are getting tired and frustrated and agitated. He says you can see it on the road, because people have less patience. They're more prone to road rage. I feel the same. I feel like I need a holiday. <laughs> I think many of you feel the same. You know, I need a holiday. I need some rest now. That pressure does that to you. But what we must realize is that the pressure, the hardship, the difficulty, the circumstances are not the cause of the sin. 
they are only the occasion for the sin. In other words, the pressure just squashes out what's already inside. And when that happens, lead us not into the time of testing, but when that time of testing inevitably comes, Lord, use it to deliver us from evil. Use it to expose that sin on the inside. Use the, in other words, what I'm trying to say is the enemy is not suffering. The goal is not to avoid pain and suffering, as we often do, because we think that suffering and pain is the enemy. No, the real enemy is evil. The real enemy is not the external evil of what happens in your circumstances to cause the pressure and the hardship and all that. The real enemy is the internal evil that causes me to sin. Because the suffering won't ruin my life. The sin will. Does, does that make sense? Can you see how the, these, the two phrases are sort of working together um, to, to, to help us to, how to deal with sin? So we, we shouldn't seek out suffering or testing but when it inevitably comes, we must use this as an occasion to deal with internal sin. Um, but when we do it, we must do it with the right approach. Because remember, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil comes after forgive us our debts. In other words, already in the previous verse, and, and there's a reason why forgiveness of sin forgive us our debts, precedes in the prayer resisting sin, deliver us from evil. Because if that were not so, we would be tempted to resist evil in order that our, uh, resist sin in order that our sins may be forgiven. But God puts it the other way around. First pray, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those, uh, our debtors. And then we know our forgiven. In other words, the punishment or the consequence of sin have already been dealt with. In other words, we don't resist sin in order to avoid the consequences of sin. We don't resist sin out of fear. That's the wrong motive. That's not a biblical godly motive. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes it's okay to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Our motives are never pure. So sometimes it's okay when we start by avoiding sin out of fear. Sometimes it's okay to say, okay, I'm not, as a teenager, I'm not going to sleep around and have sex with a lot of different people in order to avoid getting some kind of sexually transmitted um, infection or something. Sometimes that's okay. But if you only stay there, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Let me, let me tell you a little story that I think illustrates this nicely. There was an interview in a magazine which a, um, a journalist had with a guy who was in prison for life. And the reason why he was in prison for life was he had been driving in the night. I think it was in America. He'd been driving in the night and speeding, going too fast. And I, I think he might have even been a bit drunk. I'm not sure. Um, but what happened was a little kid, crossed the road and he hit the kid and when he realized what he did he sped off he drove off and he left the kid there to die in the street I mean if he had gotten out even though I mean he would probably still have been in trouble if the kid had gotten uh, medical attention quickly they might have been able to save his life but because this guy you know did a hit and run hit the kid and then drove off no one knew about the kid lying there dying in the street and the kid passed away. 
But eventually what happened was, I mean, you know, they found the evidence of the kid being hit by a car. Um, they started searching in the area. They eventually found, you know, DNA evidence and all kinds of stuff, which conclusively proved that this was the guy who hit the, the kid. And he ended up going to prison and be, being prosecuted to the full extent of the law, going to prison for life without parole. And he'd been in prison for many years and, and when this interview was done. And he said, you know what? I realized I did a really terrible thing. It was a cowardly thing. It was a big test and I failed it. But you know what? When I go back, when I think back, when I was very young, my dad was very strict. And uh, he had this watch in his um, bedside um, bedstand covered uh, in the drawer. In fact, it was a really expensive watch. He never wore it except for really um, special occasions. You know. In fact, he kept it in the drawer wrapped in a handkerchief. <laughs> and everyone, all the kids knew, you know, we had a few siblings, all the kids knew that this was one of my dad's prized possessions. And one day I was just curious and I took out, I went to my dad's room, he wasn't there, took out the watch, took it out of the handkerchief and sort of you know, checked it out and played with it and, it, and I dropped it and it fell and the glass broke and cracked. A test. A test. And you know what I did? I took it, put it back in the handkerchief, put it in the drawer, closed the drawer and ran off. And when my dad discovered it and he confronted all of us kids and said, I want to know who broke my watch, I didn't say a word. I never came out with it. And he said, you know what? I realized the fact that I failed that little test and so many other little tests after that set me up for failing the big test when it eventually came. You see, if we don't daily pray, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil, and don't get ourselves ready to face the little tests when the big tests come, we will fail. We will fail. We're setting ourselves up for failure. And that's why God wants us to daily pray about this. And think about this. Why did that guy hide the watch when he broke it? Why did he drive away when, after he had hit the kid? Fear. You see, fear of doing the wrong thing might at some times motivate you to do the right thing and to avoid the wrong thing. But when you inevitably fail the test and do the wrong thing, fear will also cause you to cover it up and hide it. You see, only the gospel where you can, before you pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray, forgive us our sins. Only the gospel actually enables us to admit our own sin because there's grace for it. And that's the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says, if I obey, I will be justified. If I obey, I will be accepted. The gospel says, because I'm justified, I want to obey. Because I'm already accepted, I want to obey. Can you see the difference? It's the same two elements, obedience and acceptance. But they just swapped around. And that makes all the difference. 
Because if you think you're accepted because you obey, you'll never be able to admit and deal with the fact that you sometimes disobey. And you'll always have to put up a front. You'll never be able to admit your sin and deal with it. You'll never be able to overcome your temptations because you can't admit them. Because you'll feel like your acceptability depends on you not being tempted and not falling for temptation. You snooker yourself. And um, the same temptation can produce different results in different people, depending on how we deal with it. Okay, so the right expectation, the right enemy, but also the right example. Jesus overcame the ultimate temptations so that we can too. If you think about it, um, in, in Matthew chapter 4, let me actually just read that. Right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, just two chapters before um, the, the Our Father prayer, it says, then Jesus was led, listen to this, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I always say, God is the master of the understatement. <laughs> You've been fasting for 40 days and nights. I mean, hungry is kind of a mild word to, to, to describe what you're going to feel. And he, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus does here, Jesus is 40 days in the desert, as Israel was 40 years in the desert when they went to the promised land. Jesus is, as it were, on a Smaller scale, reenacting Israel's history. And listen to what it says here in, in, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. Lead us. These 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger and fed you with manna. That's one of the ways in which he tested you. Uh, manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Can you see that? Can you see that Jesus is actually referring back to that scripture? Which is a scripture of testing. And the test in the wilderness that Israel failed... Jesus passed. Okay? But not only did he pass the test in the wilderness, but also at the beginning of the gospel, he also passed the test in the garden at the end of the, of the gospel. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane? Where, he was, where his sweat became like blood and he was so intensely distressed because he knew what he had to go through. It was a test. It was the ultimate test. And he said, Father, please, if it's at all possible, let this bitter cup pass me by. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And that points us back to another temptation right at the beginning of the Bible. Where Adam and Eve were in the garden. Where God had said, you may eat of all the fruit of all the trees in the garden, except of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the snake comes and tempts Eve and says, you know, God's lying to you, he's holding back on you. There's something better that, 
that's out there than what God is giving you. And then it says, and when she um, heard, when she saw that it looked good and that it would taste good and look good, uh, like good for food and was desirable to make you wise, she took off the fruit, she ate it, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate to Adam. And where Adam and Eve failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden. He overcame. He he, he overcame the temptation. So he's he's our our perfect example. Now. We might look at Jesus and say, but, you know, hang on any. <laughs> Jesus never sinned. He doesn't understand temptation. He's, he's, he's clearly not experienced temptation like I have. Au contraire. I want to read you a little quote by C.S. Lewis. I mean, it just so beautifully exposes our wrong thinking. Lewis says, A silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it actually is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. Which means Jesus Christ understands temptation better than anyone because he resisted it until temptation threw in the towel. No one understands the temptation like Jesus does. No one understands testing like Jesus does. Because no one went as far through temptation as Jesus. No one experienced it that long. All of us gave in to it. Jesus is the only one who never gave in. He knows the full power of temptation and testing and has overcome it. So if you want to know how to overcome, you want to learn how to overcome temptation, Jesus is your man. He's the perfect, he's the right example to follow in overcoming temptation. And we must understand that Jesus was tempted not so that we would not be tempted, but so that when we are tempted, we can become like him. Let me just read you another passage just in, um, towards the end of Matthew's gospel. This is where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's experiencing the ultimate test on the cross. Okay? Remember, we're supposed to pray, Lord, Father, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into testing, but when we do inevitably enter into testing, use it to deliver us from evil. Okay? Now listen to this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. This is in Matthew 27, verse 34. And this is what the leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests and all those guys, one of the things they say to him. Let me just read from verse 42 just to give you context. He said, uh, they say, mocked him and uh, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Ironically, Jesus did come down from the cross. And they didn't believe, so they were lying. But, but here's a, the, the portion I really want you to hear. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he, does, if he, if he delights in him or if he desires him. For he, has, for he said, I am the Son of God. As the Son of God, he trusted in God and was not delivered from evil. So that as the sons of God, and here I mean sons, 
Because if, if you, whether you're male or female, spiritually your position is son of God. Your position is you're a son of God. We are all, Galatians 3, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In those days, only sons inherited. And, and the Bible gives the great privilege, uh, or, or makes it so that everyone inherits, whether you're male or female. And, and, and sort of takes away that normal um, discrimination, which was the order of the day in that days. So Jesus, as the Son of God, trusted fully in God and was not delivered, so that we as the sons of God, when we trust in God, we can be delivered. And let me just read you one other scripture in, in 1 Corinthians that sort of talks about that. And, and what Jesus did and how he experienced his testing makes this possible for our testing. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And when we're tempted, we so, we so easily think, oh, this is, like a, this is like the worst temptation in the world. No one has ever experienced it this bad. I mean, this is the worst, you know. This is unique. I mean, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being singled out for special attention by Beelzebub himself. No one has experienced temptation. <laughs> we, we sometimes try and tell ourselves that God says no nonsense. You know? No temptation has overtaken except such as is common to man. Everyone experiences the same temptation. Um, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you are, beyond your ability, beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, God will give the way of deliverance so that you can endure the temptation. Not so that you can escape the temptation, note carefully, but so that you can endure the temptation and by enduring it, turn the temptation into a test which delivers you from evil. which delivers you from evil. Okay, so we said the right expectation, the right enemy, the right example. Just very quickly, in, a, in, in two minutes, the right environment um, in Matthew 26. This is the last scripture I'm going to quote. Um, verse 41. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being tested severely. He's so distressed that his, his sweat is becoming like blood comes back to his disciples they fast asleep <laughs> they're not passing the test they're not writing even they're not even writing the test with him <laughs> never mind passing it they're just snoozing <laughs> listen to what jesus says to them in verse 41 he says watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak the spirit is willing. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Be tested. It's again, that same word. Temptation testing. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see the contrast there between spirit and flesh? Here's the thing, and I'm going to just mention this briefly. If you want to fight a shark, don't fight him in water. Because he's going to beat you. And he's going to eat you. <laughs> When you fight the shark, don't fight him in water. Fight him on dry land because then you're going to beat him. 
Right? If I had to fight a shark in water, I don't think I stand much of a chance. Imagine a big, great white, you know, few meters long, great white shark attacking me in the water. I don't stand much of a chance because I'm in his environment. But if he's on dry land, I mean, he can lie there and flop around and I can take a knopkiri and hit him over the head or something, you know. When he's on dry land, in fact, I just have to, the only way to win the fight is just to wait it out. He's going to die because he can't breathe. (laughs) Because he's in my environment. Well, guess what? The flesh is Satan's environment. If I try and fight Satan in the flesh, he will beat me because the flesh is weak. I need to fight him in the spirit. I need to fight him in the right environment. How do I enter that environment of the spirit? Jesus tells us, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's through prayer. It's through prayer. That's why we're supposed to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because by praying that, and by praying daily, our Father, we enter the environment of the spirit. Where we have the upper hand over Satan. Can you see that? Just to summarize, because this is the last sermon in the series on the Our Father. Just to summarize the, the prayer. Firstly, we pray about God's person or his paternity, our Father. Then three things that are focused on God. Our, in a sense, our greatest duties towards God. Hallowed be your name. God's praises. Your kingdom come. God's power to rule. Your will be done. God's purpose to perform. And then three things that focus on our greatest needs. Give us this day our daily bread, God's provision. Forgive us our debts, God's pardon. And deliver us from evil, God's protection. Those are our greatest needs. And, and that is how Jesus wants us to pray daily. Okay, so I want us to close our eyes now. And I'm just going to, just in a couple of minutes, remember what I said. Jesus says, doesn't say... When he, in the beginning in verse 9, pray these words. He says, pray in this way. In other words, these are headings under which we must pray daily. So I'm just going to, just for a couple of minutes, actually just pray the Our Father, just as a basic example of how to do it. And I want you to, just in your hearts, pray with me. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you indeed are our Father. We... We thank you, Lord, that we can be your children through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. Let your name be revered and worshipped and considered holy. Let your name be exalted and revered above all else. Lord, we worship you because not only are you our Father that's close to us and that loves us, but you're in heaven and you're so far above us and so powerful. Not only can you do everything, but you want to do every good thing for us. And therefore we worship you. We honor you, Lord. And even if you did no good thing in our lives, we would still be worthy of worship and praise. And we honor you. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your rule, your dominion extend throughout all the earth. And we know, Lord, that inevitably at the end of time, everything will fall under your rule. Every enemy will be made a footstool for your feet. 
But we pray that even now it will start, Lord. We pray that even now your kingdom will extend. Lord, we pray, Lord, for our neighbors and our colleagues, Lord, to be saved, to receive your Holy Spirit and to come under the rulership and dominion of your benevolent, loving reign and rule. Father, we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we commit ourselves, we consecrate ourselves to you to do your will, Lord. And even if it costs us much, Lord, we know that it will never cost us as much as it cost Jesus to pray that prayer when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you that Jesus drank that most bitter of cups so that the small cups of suffering that we need to drink in order to do your will the small sacrifices we need to make to do your will become palatable lord give us the courage give us the love for you to do your will even as your will is being done perfect in perfectly in heaven please give us this day our daily bread thank you that you know our needs how every need before we even verbalize them before we even mention them lord you know that we need physical sustenance provision we need jobs lord we need relationships love lord there are so many things that we need that that we don't even lord we can't even mention them all lord but we just ask lord please provide for our daily needs we trust you lord that even the things that we don't know to ask for that you will provide them lord we specifically ask lord that you'll provide us with souls Because that is our food. Even as the Lord Jesus said in John 4, it is his food to do the will of the Father and complete it. Lord, please forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Please forgive us for our many sins, Lord. Not only sins of commission in in terms of what we have done, but also sins of omission in terms of what we have failed to do. Please forgive us our sins. Please forgive us not only, Lord, our wrong behavior, but also our wrong beliefs, our wrong attitudes, our stinking thinking, Lord. Please forgive us, for we have sinned against you, Lord. But we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we can ask for forgiveness, knowing that our debt has already been paid on the cross, and you canceled our debt. Jesus has already paid our debt in full and we receive your forgiveness. And Lord, therefore, as we have entered that, Lord, paradigm of jubilee where our sins are forgiven and we are, where we are set free, Lord, from slavery, Lord, we want to do, extend the same to other people, to the people around us, Lord. Those who have sinned against us and incurred a, a debt, a sin debt against us, Lord, we release them from that debt even as you have released us. We forgive even as we have been forgiven. Lord, you know that there are some people who have been close to us, who have hurt us deeply, Lord. Often family and friends or significant people in our lives. Lord, we know you understand the pain because you yourself were betrayed by someone very close to you. We just let go of all of that resentment. We let go of all of the anger and the hatred. We forgive and we bless And we trust, Lord, that you will bring justice, merciful justice, but justice nonetheless. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, you know our frailty, you know our vulnerability, you know our weakness, Lord. Do not lead us into tests. 
that we cannot handle. But thank you that you are faithful. And that with a test you will bring the way of escape that we might be able to, to bear it. And thank you that you deliver us from evil. Lord, we, know, we realize that the external evil is not the real problem. It's the internal evil in our hearts. Please deliver us of that. Lord, even if you have to use suffering to deliver us from sin, we say, yes, Lord, please do that. Help us to daily be ready and to have the right, Lord, the right attitude so that you can use our suffering to deliver us from evil, to deliver us from sin. Help us to be soldiers who are constantly ready, who have our feet shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace so that we can minister the gospel to ourselves as well as to others and say to ourselves, the fact that we are suffering doesn't mean that we are not accepted. And because we are, in fact, because we are accepted and so loved, we can actually go through this suffering because you went through much greater suffering for us. We just remind ourselves of that. And we pray that you'll help us to, on a daily basis, remind ourselves of that. Lord, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. You are God and there is no other. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the hero of our story. You are our King, our Messiah, the one we look up to, our only hope. We worship you. We honor you. And we pray, Lord God, that we will not only become a praying church or be a praying church, but that we will be praying individuals within a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.